Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Here we are, another week, Defending in Numbers, the show where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we really do. My name is Rob Armstrong, and I'm pretending. However, in the corner of the room is hot take Jake the Snake with a fine moustache. He's not pretending anything. He's certainly not pretending to have gone through puberty. How are you, Jake? <laughs> well, I committed the sin of getting rid of too much around it, so now it's really prominent, and I'm conscious of it. So It's not a sin, Jake. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> and, of course, joined once again by the most electrifying man in all of football statistics, George Ellick. How are you doing? I'm hoping one day you're going to drop the statistics and just have the most electrifying man in football. I've never seen you play uh, anything, <laughs> let alone football. Fair enough. If you are listening on Deezer or iTunes or any of the other places where you get your podcasts, make sure you subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, press the old, uh, what is it? The old review button with the stars on it. That's the, the old one. review button. Yeah. And leave no, no, no. Hold on. It's a rate button with the stars on it. And then you review it using your words <laughs> and you'll make hot take Jake the Snake a very rich man. He needs to buy a moustache grooming kit, so get him up that algorithm. <laughs> is <it> that bad? <laughs> no, it looks great. But, Perfect. You know, clean it. Nothing isn't improved by grooming, Jake. <laughs> and on that, and on that smooth transition, let's start with week by numbers. The week by numbers. Right then, you little schmucks. Let's talk some numbers. Starting with the number fifteen, and fifteen of the last thirty England players to earn a debut have been coached by Mauricio Pochettino. So why don't we just make him England manager? Because he seems to know what he's doing with our young players, whether it's at Southampton or now it's at Tottenham. How much money do we have to throw at him, George? How much money would you personally throw at him out of your wallet? <laughs> I, I don't know, really. I think he's probably better. He's probably doing a better job for England by being Spurs manager than he would be if he was England manager, um, bringing this, this kind of talent through. But then at the same time, A, I don't think he'd want to be England manager particularly, and B, he's in a very lucky position where part of his kind of DNA of, of his manager uh, now is to bring through youth players. If you look at the likes of Antonio Conte or Jose Mourinho or, or, or Pep Guardiola as well, they're... It's not within their um, their kind of remit to do so. Why why would um, Guardiola bring in a player, a young centre back, coming through their academy when they can go out and spend forty million, fifty million on John Stones? Because at the end of the day, it's his job that's on the line. Whereas with with Pochettino, certainly at Southampton, if you look at what what kind of fans and, and owners are looking for in a in a Southampton job, um, I would say that bringing youth talent through is probably number one on the list. So they are, you know, they would, their job would be in jeopardy if they're not doing that. And the same probably goes at Spurs as well, where Daniel Levy is obviously loath to spend uh, big money on players. It's part of his job to bring young players through. So whilst um, Pochettino certainly deserves the, our respect and, and, and praise for doing this, I think at the same time, he is blessed to be in a job that A, has a you know, great pool of English talent in his last two clubs in the Premier League and B, where he's actively encouraged to use them. How many youth players have you brought through recently, Jake? Uh, none at all. I well, can't claim to have any England debutants that have been uh, <laughs> trained under my wing. Proud? Of that? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm not at all. Okay. I wish I was Mauricio Pochettino, actually, because he is a sensational manager. As, as George said, the work he's done at Tottenham is is incredible. And the thing is with him, it's not actually just young players. Um, the average age of those debutants is 23 years, 97 days old. So in, in general, he's bringing through the young players and he's given them a chance. The youngest 
England debutant under Pochettino's Luke Shaw, who was 18 when he made his England debut. Obviously, that's not gone to plan with his injuries and stuff. But um, he also got Ricky Lambert an England debut, who obviously recently retired. He's brought the average right up. Yeah, exactly. So he was 31 (laughs) when he got his England debut. But I think Pochettino's... He's excellent at developing young players, but he's also squeezes absolutely every bit of potential out of the players he has. If you look at Christian Eriksen, for example, he's gone up a new level. He's not necessarily old and he's not English, but he's a player that under Pochettino has transformed himself. And again, it's probably criminally underrated. Uh, one of the best players in the league at the moment. And Harry Kane as well. Um Again, he is still relatively young, but Pochettino's taken him as a striker to a completely new level. And with the amount of goals he's scoring, we're talking him about Harry Kane now with the likes of Lewandowski, with the likes of Cavani, and then even touching uh, Ronaldo and Messi levels in terms of pure goal scoring. So Pochettino, I agree with George in the fact that he is probably better doing this at Spurs. He's He's got all the tools to make these players and then... He's giving everything Gareth Southgate needs to try and be successful. And I think it's time we sort of um, don't be embarrassed about just showing how much we rely on him. I think Gareth Southgate referred to him as sort of England's secret weapon. And I just think we should be packing this England team with as much Spurs talent as possible because the likes of Spain and Germany have proven that when you have a team that's played together in the same style, in the same way for years, that can only breed success. So with Tottenham players, if we're using five or six in each starting 11, then they have this awareness of how to play with each other, especially in the three at the back system that uh, Spurs used so well last season. Carl Walker obviously counts as an, as an old Spurs. He, he'll know Harry Kane. If we can pack England with these Spurs players that Pochettino is developing and obviously coaching incredibly well, then we almost don't need him as England manager. We just hope someone in the position can understand that's what is probably the best course of action. I think Gareth Southgate should give um, Pochettino a call and say, would you start Eric Dyer and Jordan Henderson as midfield two against bad teams? <laughs> and then he will get his answer as to whether or not he should do that ever again. Do you reckon it's uh, too late for him to get Fernando Llorente in England call up? <laughs> Probably, yeah. He's just too old, isn't he? It? Too that's old. The that's what's stopping that's, him. that's the only that's thing in the way, him. though. And speaking of too old, forty-four, the next number, and that's how old Egypt's goalkeeper SM El Hadari is, who qualified for the World Cup last weekend after twenty-two years in the national team. He's got one hundred and fifty-six caps, and he's won the African Cup of Nations four times. And Egypt are one of those teams, despite the fact they. I, when I was growing up, they seemed to win the African Cup of Nations every year. But how have they gone so long without getting in the World Cup? We saw how much it meant to them with the celebrations when Salah scored and everything like that in the last minute with the penalty. They've had good players come through there. How have they missed out so many times? So I'd say I think it's just just years and years of underachievement, really. Um, as you as you say, that's not it's not like they've been perpetually bad. They've had successes in in, in, in Afcon. Um, they've had very very good players coming through. Just a case of a uh, bit, just a bit of a hoodoo. I think you, sometimes when you go for so long and, and not qualifying, we saw with Wales as well over the um, earlier this week, uh, who haven't qualified for over fifty years, and they, they fall at the last hurdle again when they've got a home game against Ireland to win to get into the playoffs and maybe qualify automatically, and they fall short. And I think having that mental block, and we see it with England every major tournament. You know, there's absolutely no way, despite what anyone says, there's no way that we should be as poor as we are. There's no way that we should never should have made a, a semi since uh, since only once in ninety six. Um, so I would, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd have to say it's just, it's just bad, basically bad luck. And you saw by how much it meant to them and how much it meant to the players, how much it meant to the fans, that, uh, that this was a huge, huge step to overcome and, uh, and, and good they finally done it. It's like the Egyptian Nicopolidis, isn't he? 
Is that his name? The Greek goalkeeper who was grey since the age of nine? Yeah. He's like a Buffon as well. Buffon's obviously 39 and still playing. But um, yeah, the, the number of caps you mentioned as well, it's, we, we all sort of hail Buffon as this sort of eternal, immortal goalkeeper in Europe. But like there are these African goalies. And um, so Buffon's the fourth most capped international of all time. And El Hadari drops down a bit, obviously with a bit less, but... To be going at 44 years old and playing really well in the most recent African Cup of Nations, he he saved two penalties in the um, in the semi final, the penalty shootout, maybe even the quarter final. Actually, I might have got my wires crossed there, but he's got two penalties and four clean sheets in that tournament. They they lost to Cameroon in the final, but at 44 years old, he was one of their best players in that tournament. The old cliche that age is just a number is rings very true with him. They'll just be he'll just be hoping that the likes of Mohamed Salah and they've obviously got El Neni from Arsenal, a couple of Premier League players in there. They're usually the stars of the team. And they've also got Stokes young winger slash forward, which they use in every position, Ramadan Sobi, who again could probably be looking at that World Cup to sort of make a claim. A lot of hype about him when Stoke bought him and he's not really done much. So they've got a good bunch of players. And as you said, they've always had a good bunch of players, but to just to finally get into the World Cup. Um, they could just end up doing what uh, Nigeria, the other African team, that are sort of most famous for. They, Nigeria always get in the World Cup and usually fall short. So getting to the World Cup is one thing. They've they've hurdled that uh, obstacle, but now it's can they can they really make an impact at that tournament? Yeah, they definitely get a shock in them. I think definitely. The yeah, we, we saw we, we saw in Brazil that you know, Algeria were, were, were very very competitive, very good. I, I think that there's definitely scope for African teams to 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 be good, and I think that there's. You know, carrying momentum through as, as Egypt's will, they're, they're definitely a banana skin for for anyone. I think that if you look at this this World Cup upcoming, I mean, I'd say that Brazil and and possibly Germany are, are really the only two teams that you can't really find fault in. Um, well, or struggle to. I think Brazil certainly looked very very strong, and in that respect, I think that, that it could be open, like we saw in the Euros last year. It could be open for something for someone to to go on a run and, and get later on in the competition. Well, someone who's not going to be at the World Cup this year is old old Iron Robin who <laughs> retired last night the glass man as he called what did you say the glass man lasted longest yeah lasted longest is he the all time record caps holder for no no, no he's sure. he, he's ninth he's ninth oh so, nowhere near forget well, it then but he, has, yeah. he has got 37 goals that's the number I, for, I forgot about the numbers <laughs> part 37 goals so he, he uh, retired from the Netherlands last night joint fourth on the all time goal scorers list the same as Dennis Burkamp. do you feel he is maybe a little bit underappreciated as a Netherlands player. Do you think that maybe they underachieved a bit, given that they had that World Cup final and then the, the semi-final, uh, sorry, the World Cup final? Yeah, it was the World Cup final, wasn't it? And yeah. then the semi-final in 2014. Do you think that maybe with that squad of players, particularly how it's ended up now with them not even qualifying, do you think that there maybe should be uh, an extra honour on Arjen Robben's list? I mean, I think that the sad fact is that his his Holland legacy or Netherlands legacy will go down probably as failure. Um, you know, you get to that World Cup final, which is such a turning point. I think there was so much positivity around that squad of players and that team at the time. Um, and at the end of the day, for the for the twinkle, you know, the twilight of um, of Iron Robin's career, that they've they've been abject and, and and very very poor. And I think as in international football, unlike club football, that's probably where you look to your senior players to really drag you through it. Um, and and their failure to qualify for two major tournaments in a row is is, is basically unacceptable, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So first time they've failed to do like consecutive major tournaments, not qualifying since 1984, 86. So this is a really dark time for the Netherlands. But with Iron Robin, 
you said his 37 goals, that's joint fourth. His caps, he's 96 caps with his joint ninth. Like we said, that's that's still pretty impressive. He's, yeah. he's had a, and considering he is known as a glass man, those injuries have kept him back from earning more. I think like a fully fit player, even not playing until 33, would have got 100 caps uh, given his ability. Because oh, Iron Robin is a f- phenomenal player. He, again, he's predictable or whatever it is. But the fact that for 30 years, he's had a 14-year career at Netherlands. All those 14 years, you know exactly which way he's going to go and no one's really been able to stop him. Yeah, He was their best player in this qualifying tournament, the only one really scoring goals. He got two in their most recent game to get uh, joint with Dennis Burkamp. He got a hat-trick in one of the games as well. Um, in terms of his legacy, I think from what I was seeing, the reaction of his retirement, Netherlands fans are almost torn with what he's done. Uh, they appreciate how marvellous a player he is. But obviously there was that one time during... Uh, the 2012 World Cup where he missed the one-on-one with Casillas. Yeah, that's and the final, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so that was in the final. But the, the story behind that's uh, quite funny because he obviously, he pulled his hamstring attempting a back heel in like the final warm-up game. Uh, he went to this controversial physio uh, to get treatment, Dick Van Torn. Uh, he went to his house. Oh, and I know. But the videos of I'm Dick Robert, Van Torn. Yeah. Or, or two. And it's two what O's. Name, what, what name for a physio? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A two oh, and a hamstring. Dear. But he went there and it was like, you can see the videos of him appearing, like the, the amount of press that were outside this physio's house. Uh, Ryan Robin coming out saying, yeah, my hamstring's fine. Didn't play in the first few games. Came on and and, and uh, Netherlands scored from his deflected effort from a classic cut inside run. And, I just think he almost got them. The, he got them to that final, but then this this fitness issue that's played his probably whole career stopped him from becoming one of the world's best. Because in terms of individual talent, when he was on form, like even when he was playing for Chelsea, Ro- Iron Robin's one of my favourite players to watch. As I said, you know where he's going, but there's that anticipation of when will he cut in, when will he bend it in the bottom corner. So yeah, ninety six caps, thirty seven goals, um, and twenty nine assists to go with that. He was directly involved in a goal every 112 minutes for Netherlands. It's unbelievable effort. So he is he's a brilliant player. And as George said, sadly, it's probably going to be seen as a failure because they never sealed that that trophy that he would have been he would have won it as well. Yeah. Imagine us considering an England player a failure after getting to a World Cup final, a World Cup <laughs> semi-final. Well, wait, all the England players at the moment are probably failures for getting to a World yeah. Cup. So. Yeah, by, by walking there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By, by, by literally qualifying with so, such ease. And we should be ashamed, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Clowns. Uh, speak, actually, speaking of disgraceful England, let's, <laughs> let's maybe move on to uh, the number 334,000, which is the population of our old friends, Iceland. Now the smallest country population-wise ever to qualify for the World Cup. When you compare it to the USA last night, who have 323 million, they didn't qualify. How does that uh, rank in terms of how, like how much credit should we pay to the Icelandic Football Federation for getting their uh, youth systems and their football systems in such a state that they've managed to qualify for two international tournaments and basically show up? I mean, I'm not going to call England an, an international superpower, <laughs> yeah, or anything, no, but an but, established well, but, yeah, tournament team. Be, yeah, at the previous one, they finished above Portugal in the groups as well, and they went on to win it. I think I think they're a huge sign of, of how system um, is probably more important in international football than individual quality. Um, for all of the chat about Ronaldo during the Portugal um, success at the Euros, that was actually a team that was based on on basically a, a solid back four, except for um, that weird game against Hungary. Um, where and I think Iceland are the same. They have a consistent starting lineup. They play a system they know that works. They play very much on the counter. They're very very happy putting eleven men behind the ball. Um, and 
yeah, and they deserve huge, huge credit for that. It's a, international football because you don't train every day because you um, only play with each other six or seven times a year. It's important to have that, you know, that that almost muscle memory where you know how you're going to play and you know how you're going to set up. And and they've done that very, very well. I've just got this feeling that England are going to be drawn up against them in the World Cup again. It's going to be like Sweden during the '90s and the early noughties where we just come unstuck every time. But um, but yeah, they deserve absolutely immense credit. What an achievement for them. I've I've seen a lot of sort of four G pitches and all weather pitches and and domes where they play football and stuff over there. So it seems to me that they're they're getting it right at every level, building up to the national team. I, I feel like we're maybe about to see sort of an influx of young Icelandic players in Europe turning up at teams and and then becoming, to be fair, a, a, a force that they shouldn't be. With that I mean, it'll go one of two ways. Either there will be their resources will be shown up and th- this will be shown as, as you know, to coin the old English phrase, a golden generation. Um, and then they'll revert to the norm or it'll inspire a, uh, you know, a, a generation of Icelandic uh, talent to go to their, you know, to make the most of the, the facilities open to them and, uh, and, they'll, and they'll go from strength to strength. But realistically, with a population that size, I mean, think that's kind of, it's like three times the capacity of Wembley. I mean, it's an yeah. absolute, it's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, there's, there's so many ridiculous yeah. stats that are going around. Like so with, with that, with that pool of pool, it, it's very unlikely they'll be able to sustain that that level. I would have thought it's a huge credit though for yeah, as, as we said, for getting them there. Uh, the massive uh, investment in infrastructure and giving those pitches and providing the the platform and and providing the coaches as well with sort of knowledge of football yeah. that sounds really patronizing but a lot of a lot of teams just have like very uh sort of proud men that take over the national team and, and their way is the only way but iceland have sort of brought together this this team that knows what they're doing and their their manager their full-time manager now is actually a part-time dentist yeah. so it, it just shows that sort of they are defying all the all the odds in terms of having this tiny population it's the first it's the first side that have under a million uh, population that have qualified Trinidad and Tobago were the other smallest with 1.3 million so th- this this is a huge milestone for them and the fact that they're ranked 22nd in the world is pretty impressive we've gone over before that those rankings can be a bit skewed and it's it's almost a game of poker how you get up the rankings but considering in 2012 that they were at their lowest ever ranking of 131st in, in in five years to go to top twenty in the world, they've only they've just dropped two places. But to go to top twenty in the world and qualify for back to back major tournaments is um it, they deserve massive credit for the team, the players. Uh, as George said, they they play a certain style. They're not embarrassed to sit behind the ball. They only Northern Ireland in Euro twenty sixteen created fewer chances during the group stages. Obviously, it gets a bit skewed because teams start to play more games. But in terms of when everyone played the same amount of games, they can uh, they created sixteen chances and went through top of the group. So they play a certain style. They're not embarrassed to play that style, and and they've. And they use players like Sigurdsson as a, as a weapon. Like They use his set-piece delivery. They use things that they do well to go far in the competition. And they deserve massive credit for, at every level, uh, the country, the support from the fans, the infrastructure and the players' performances and their dentist manager as well. <laughs> yeah, just put the money in the right places, yeah. right? Which is what you always do, Jake. Yeah, I do. You've yeah. never misspent a penny. No, back pocket. A man who I imagine is a very wise spender. Particularly when it comes to investing on wines. Certain <laughs> Andrea Pirlo, he uh, announced he was going to retire last week. 570 career league appearances for him. So where do we think he ranks when you when you talk about the all-time great midfielders? You look at the clubs he's played at. 
I mean, New York City FC, that's the big one. You look at the clubs, he's played at both Milan clubs, Juventus, he's won so many trophies, Champions Leagues, World Cups. He must be up there with the very best of them. Yeah, uh, he's had an incredible career. I think an amazing thing about his career is his ability to, um, you know, reinvent himself as a footballer during it. If you look at the Pirlo um, in his Milan days early on, he he wasn't that kind of quarterback sitting with holding the field. He was an energetic guy playing further forward who used to get forward. Um, and then once he was deemed surplus to requirements and ended up going on a free transfer to uh, to Juve, that's where you know he really hit the world stage. I'd say into his early thirties and where he he began to get the plaudits that probably his talent always deserves. Um, I still used to get frustrated watching him sometimes because in in that time because it almost got to the stage where every time he got the ball he was trying to play a you know a nice sixty yard cross for a ball over the top which you know they're not always going to come off but but his you know the legacy that he that he'll have um, at his clubs and Italy um, and basically on football as a whole um, you've got to be impressed with him as a as, as a player. He's a, he's a, he's definitely a serial winner. The fact that he won five consecutive league titles in in Italy, uh, one was with Milan, and then as George said, they sort of said, "Now you're 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 on the decline." He went to Juventus and then won four in a row. He 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 is a bit of a marvel, and and I think he almost maybe we, everyone loves him because of how cool he is and how sort of composed he is. But because he hasn't got that really like garish personality, you almost sort of lose track of how good he is. The fact that nothing is a big is a big moment for him. He's composed at every moment. That the Penenka against England probably sums him up. That's probably the best moment in, in one moment in his career that sums him up. The worst moment <laughs> <laughs> for us, it was bad. But in terms of Andrea Pirlo stepping up, just completely mind gaming Joe Hart, being as cool as ever, chipping it down the middle, pure nonchalance, but devastating. Imagine outsmarting Joe Hart. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, but Eng- England were ahead in the shootout when he did that. So if he had missed that, England yeah. would have been too clear. That, but that's what I mean. It's that it's that sort of decision-making. As George said, yeah, he towards the end, maybe he was becoming too free in in, in his quarterback role and, and pinging it. But I've looked at it as like twilight of his career because it's, it's hard to get hold of some data before that. But in his last three seasons, um, he completed 5,000 passes, which was more than any Juventus player. Uh, that was 88% accuracy. And it go- goes to show that he, he, as George said, again, he reinvented himself into that role, became this absolute pass master and was also pretty good at free kicks, scoring 11 in that time, which was more than any other player in Europe's top five leagues. 18 trophies across his career. There, there are so many numbers you can talk about with Andrea Pirlo. Yeah, he is one of the best midfielders ever because he, he has won everything and he did it He did it so often. Yeah. It wasn't just a one-time one time thing. We've lost a few of the old uh, masters recently. Got it on, on the list. We've got Xavi, Xavi Alonso, Puskas, Totti, all in recent years. like Just <laughs> just, just, just Harry Winks left, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. The old master <laughs> Harry Winks. He'll <laughs> be next. All right then, let's move on away from these god-awful numbers and into the section of pure embarrassment. I'm embarrassed to ask. I'm embarrassed to ask. Right then, mofos. Ballon d'Or shortlist came out this week. How are they choosing that? Because I noticed that obviously we all know it's Messi and Ronaldo come one and two. But then there's these 28 other players and not on the list is someone like Alexis Sanchez and Kayla Navas and Carvajal and players like that. Sanchez obviously didn't win the Champions League, but the other two did. Also, no Andy Carroll. Shocking. How are they choosing this? He didn't even get a Puskas nomination. San Sadio Mane and Philip Coutinho are in it. Exactly. Coutinho was injured for three months. It was very, very strange. There were some bizarre choices, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it changed last year. So France football and FIFA have always had separate awards. 
And I think in 2010, they decided to... The best FIFA awards, isn't it called? Isn't it called something <laughs> ridiculous, isn't it called like the FIFA, FIFA best FIFA player, World FIFA player. best FIFA yeah. award? Yeah. Um, and they so they had different awards basically since inception, about about 60 odd years ago. Um, I think Stanley Matthews is the first person to win um, the France football um, Ballon d'Or. And, uh, and then about six years ago, um, I think probably under some pressure from Mr. Blatter, they decided to unite the, the, the awards, basically. And then it became a vote amongst the, um, as it is now with the FIFA award, a vote amongst captains internationally and managers. Um, and then last year, they decided, uh, Gianni Infantino decided that they wanted to have their own award back again, which I think is probably backfired because I don't think anyone's going to really care when the, when the FIFA nominees come out in about a week or so. So now it's just a case of, of, of basically a panel of French journalists, um, from what I can tell, are, are the people who choose the shortlist, um, which maybe goes, I mean, Sadio Mane started at Mets. I don't know if that, you know, if necessarily players who they have an affinity to are getting preferential treatment. I'm not sure. Um, but it does seem slightly bizarre that um, such an important, uh, basically, a, a an award that that is is so um, you know, iconic now uh, can be decided in a pretty similar way to like the Football Writers Award in, in the in England. It's just it's just a group of guys saying who they think the best players have been. So is Ballon d'Or not the best, best, best FIFA best, best, best ever, best, best? Bisto. <laughs> Bisto best player ever FIFA men's award now is, is it just has Ballon d'Or's credibility been reduced by the fact that it's just four blokes I don't think panel? it's been reduced at all because that's, it, that's what it started off as France football have been running it since 1958 um, it's only recently that they merged with FIFA so the, last year 173 journalists from around the world vote, not voted <laughs> so it's not it's not just France but it's I understand what George is saying like this year was unprecedented for Ligue 1 uh, they had four French people in it, sorry, which is the most by any nation. Um, and Ligue 1 had four players, a total as well. Uh, La Liga had 11 players in it and seven were from, uh, were from Real Madrid. So again, there's the, the one argument with sort of these Ballon d'Or and individual awards is that for some reason, the kicker always seems to be trophies won, which is indicative of, of how your team plays. So the fact that almost all these Real Madrid players are in the Ballon d'Or shortlist they're probably saying they're the best team, they won the biggest trophy, let's put them all in. But in terms of how the journalists go about deciding it, it's, it's, it is a, it's a subjective thing, isn't it? There's the eternal Lionel Messi, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo debate. It's been 11 consecutive years where they've both been nominated. Um, so that's been going on forever. And, it's, and, and as you said, it's a choice between those two really again. Um, but there's always interesting things in terms of like, how do you look... How do you look at these nominees and, and decide who's best? Do we look at pure goal scoring? Because if it, in that case, it's it's Messi this year. He's got 40, after his hat-trick that saved Argentina from their World Cup misery, uh, he's got 49 goals in 49 games uh, this calendar year for club and country. Uh, second on that list is Lewandowski, followed by Harry Kane, who are both in the 40s. Ronaldo's got 42 in 42 games. Um in terms of goal scoring, that's the mo- that's the easiest number to look at when you're deciding these awards. But then, how will a goalkeeper ever win it? David Hay has got the most clean sheets in 2017 with 14. Jan Oblak's nominated this year. He's kept more clean sheets than conceded goals for Atletico Madrid in La Liga, yeah. 50 and 49. There's there's no real number or 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 any way to determine it, and it becomes again, it just becomes a point of preference. And I really like the award. I I was. People weren't liking the five by five uh, release of all the players. But I quite liked it. They they made a day of it as it was, and um, 
it was interesting to see some of the new names come up there. But uh, again, it will be between Ronaldo and Messi. And as I said, given Ronaldo won the Champions League, Super Cup, La Liga uh, and the Supercopper, he's probably going to take fifth and go level with Lionel Messi yeah, in the all-time those, rankings. Those goals he was scoring in the knockout stage of the Champions that, League as well, yeah. I think that cemented it for him really, yeah. didn't it? Because he kind of dragged them. Well, first player first player to score back-to-back hat-tricks in a knockout in knockout round of the Champions League. I just don't understand how Coutinho is in it. I mean, I can't... <laughs> like with Mar- with thought, Mane, yeah. there's, like, there's like something that, that kind yeah, of... I really just about it. Yeah, so yeah. do I. And, and he's had a very... You know, he's almost had like a breakthrough year. Whereas like, Coutinho hasn't played any Champions League football really. I mean, he he's basically been injured for a long time especially when you get a player like Thomas Lamar didn't make it no I mean and Christian Eriksen yeah we mentioned earlier I mean mean, Lamar got to a Champions League semi-final he had like an incredible year on the wing he played this team won a league completely you know against um, against any 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 expectation to do so I mean, I just, I'd love yeah. to know how, how Casino could, could be above Lamar. Christian Eriksen created the most chances in 2017 as well in yeah. Europe's top five leagues. Uh, he's one that sort of people were really picking a bone with. Like Kevin De Bruyne got in there, which I think he didn't get nominated for the 55-man shortlist for the best awards. Everyone was fuming about that. Mm. France football might have said, look at the reaction here, <laughs> put Kevin De Bruyne in, but then they've missed out on another name. Now there's a backlash to Christian Eriksen. So it is always going to be difficult to to select 30 players. And I said, what do you even base that on? How many goalkeepers do you get in? What defenders are ever going to win it? If if you, What do you quantify? Like Ramos won the most headers for Real Madrid in the Champions League and the La Liga last season. But... What does that mean compared to forty nine goals? Takes it. It just takes a ropey World Cup, doesn't it? When it two thousand and six, the World Cup, where all the scores were yeah, one yeah, nil. Yeah, Cannavaro. Cannavaro yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah, five foot ten defender. That's all it takes. Hopefully, there's a ropey year next year, and Andy Carroll can finally get his hands yeah. on that big golden ball. Anyway, next up, who's this fella? Who's this fella? Right, the professional Leon, Leon Goretzka. A German who, by all accounts, is a backheel merchant. Uh, <laughs> One backheel gold. <laughs> that's all I know him for. Apparently he's got six goals and 12 appearances, but pff, I, I have no idea who he is, even though he's playing every week at Schalke. Uh, tell me his story, guys. Tell me all about man like Leon Goretzka. He's just one of the, the many, 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 many young German players who are afforded game time in the Bundesliga and therefore, um, you know, is, is all better for it. He's uh, he's played for the last couple of seasons for Schalke. He was part of Germany's um, Confederations Cup um, successful side. Uh, I've seen quotes comparing him to Mesut Ozil, which I think are slightly wider than Mark. Um, but, you know, he, he, you know, he's, as I said, he's one of many. He's, he's, Germany have this pool of talent that they that they are consistently getting first team football. If you look at England and how that changes, you know the likes of Harry Winks are an anomaly rather than than a regular, um, and he's twenty two, the same age as uh, as Gretzky, been playing for a couple of years now. Um, he's I think he's got two goals in his five starts for for Schalke this season in the Bundesliga. Um, and he you know he does like to get forward. He he likes to kind of break through into that ten role sometimes. Um, unlike Özil, his passing stats aren't particularly impressive. I think he averages about thirty four per game at like just over seventy percent success rate, which is you know fairly poor for a midfielder. But yeah, no, he's he's he's, a, he's an exciting talent and someone who's who's certainly having a, a bit of a breakthrough season this year um, internationally. Is he better than you, Jake? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Comfortably, I think. Um, but yeah, I think he's he breakthrough season in the fact that I think he's, again, he's been a curse of being so good at so many things that he's played in so many different roles already. Uh, when he first started, he was at uh, VFL Bochum, 
and in great accent yeah, yeah I, try, I tried I tried <laughs> welcome um, and in 2012 he won the Fritz Walter gold medal for the under 17 category so in terms of being a talent in Germany they've had an eye on him for a long time and as George said he's he's playing more and more for Schalke I think he's got 50 starts in the last uh, three seasons now so he's definitely staked a claim in that side but he's he's only scored 12 goals in 126 games across all competitions but the fact that he's got this 6 in 12 for Germany I think there's a real sort of emphasis on the fact that he's being moved further up the pitch. He is, as I said, he's a very talented midfielder in the fact that he can do almost everything. Um, and and to find a number to support that, I, I, I worked out that last season, uh, so he start, he played 30 league games, which is fewer than most people play in a season, uh, sort of top notch. And he was the only player that made 70 plus intercep- interceptions and had 50 plus shots. So again, this is... That seems quite forced, but it was it was the one way to show that yeah he's in, he's intercepting the ball and he's got this sort of defensive role. But in midfield, he can also break forward and 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 fifty shots. I know he said he hasn't scored many goals, but he's got this attacking instinct. And and for Germany, they're playing him in this number ten role. But as George said, I don't think he's anything like Mesut Özil and the fact that he'll sit in that pocket and create chances for his team. He wants to one that he wants to be the one that's scoring. And when they play with these wide wing-backs, Sane and, and, and Brandt played in the most recent game, Goretzka is the player that arrives behind um, their centre-forward. And as we saw, he, he managed to turn a goal in with his back heel. He managed to bounce it off the floor into the top corner. It was a pretty, it was a pretty special goal and it speaks volumes um, for his talent. Last season, he won 66 tackles, completed 35 take-ons, created 34 chances. And with these numbers, with the 77 interceptions and the 51 shots... Bloody hell, that's a lot of numbers. Yeah, I know I'm bombarding there, but that's what I mean. He's got he's got them all across the board, and you're slowly building this this really complete midfielder. And um, his former manager at Bochum said he was the uh, the talent of the century. So that's a that's a big pressure on him. Well, but the next Ravel Morrison. Yeah, exactly. The next Ravel Morrison slash Freddie Adu into one. Um, but he's definitely a big talent. And I think Germany are playing him in a really interesting fashion and, and he's thriving for it. And we'll slowly start seeing that rather than a more defensive role for Schalke. He'll get more and more up the pitch and you'll start seeing these. I've seen people uh, compare him to Frank Lampard. Just the fact that he likes to shoot. But that isn't that far off. Someone that's very intelligent, times his run well. And, and rather than creating through actual passes or through balls. Gretzka's creating through his runs and and making chances for himself. So he's definitely one to look out for and, and a really exciting talent as well. Six foot two, which means Jose Mourinho will probably buy him next summer. But, but does he have an A star in Latin GCSE? I'm, I'm not sure. That's... I didn't look at his GCSE results. <laughs> Unless he's got that, he'll never be Lampard, will he? Never. Latin, wasn't it? What did I say? Yeah. You said Latin, Latin. didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't hear you say it. <laughs> well, well uh, call, Latin. call me out. You can tell I got in it. In front of all our <laughs> friends on the podcast. Uh, so he's a little bit of a goal scorer for Germany, but not so much for his club. He's not going to be in a bit of a Podolski situation, is he, where he's just much better for... He scored two and five this, this yeah, season. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's, yeah. he's moving further forward. Yeah. He played as a defensive midfielder, then became this box-for-box guy, and now... Sort of becoming that 10, but not a creative 10. He's doing a reverse Alan Smith. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's but the technical name for it. legs intact. Yeah. yeah. All right then. Well, Alan Smith's legs weren't intact for long and neither will your bodies after you shoot these stat bullets at each other <laughs> in the very smoothly <laughs> transitioned Stats Showdown. Stats Showdown. All right then. You no good, dirty SOBs looking at each other with contempt. 
ready to beat each other in a stat showdown of a lifetime. Best out of three. Jake, you're looking at me. You've got the moustache. You can go first. Impress me with a was, stat. I knew there was a reason for it. Give me ammunition. Right. Looking ahead to this weekend's biggest game in the Premier League. Man United, Liverpool. Burnley, West Ham. Um, not Burnley, West Ham, sorry. Um, the, the, man of the, the man of the moment, Marcus Rashford. If he scores against Liverpool, he will have scored more goals as a teenager for Man United than Ryan Giggs in the Premier League. How is that? How old is he? 19. So he's 19 and his birthday's at uh, the end of October. So Ooh. more than Ryan Giggs, 12. Wayne Rooney's actually leading that on 15. Right. So over in the Bundesliga, we have Borussia Dortmund against RB Leipzig in a very, very big game. Rasenballsport. Uh, Correct. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you know that? <laughs> pick those. You just pick those ones up. Um, yeah. lots, lots of talk about Naby Keita. He's going to Liverpool next season and how his take on stats last year was so impressive. And he comes back from suspension for this game after three-game ban. Uh, Naby Keita is averaging 5.4 successful take-ons per 90 this, this season compared to 3.1 last season. And that is higher than take-on rival Christian Pulisic, who's averaging 3.4, who will be his opponent. Mm. Okay. Naby Keita getting better than better than last year when everyone, well, you two said he was the best player that's ever going to exist. <laughs> or Marcus Rashford being better than Giggsy. Different position, but still interesting. I'm going to I'm going to go one nil to Jake. Fair enough. One nil to Jake. Yes, well, I thought my delivery was poor then. Yeah, it's the way you tell him. Probably yeah, you could have hyped better. I love take ons as well. So yeah, mm. it's weird that I was. I, I thought it was strange. No, what you said was strange too. So yeah, well, teenage time, teenage sensation. Time for you to take on Jake oh. with your next step. Uh, am I right, lads? Yes, I am. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> Jermaine Defoe comes up against his former club Spurs this weekend. Last season, he was caught offside a whopping 36 times for Sunderland. Shockingly, this season, so far, he's only strayed past the last defender once. Okay. I like an offside stat, you know? I, Weird I like stat. I know, I know you like those. I like a, I like a wacky stat. <laughs> wacky stat. You know me. Jake, are you going to out-whack that? No. But also weirdly, Bournemouth only being caught offside four times all season, which is wow. really weird. It's, so. like, yeah, it's, not, no, it's like they're not yeah. attacking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Arsenal 21. I mean, they're, they're second highest. Like is that? Yeah. Paul. I mean, Defoe, you think? Yeah, anyway. Paul I know. Um, no, as usual, I don't have the wacky ones, which <sighs> again, time after time, I should right. learn <laughs> just to find the wackiest thing. But I'm going to go back to Iron Robin because I love him so much. And if he scores for Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga this weekend, he will become their all-time top-scoring foreign player with 93 goals in the Bundesliga, beating Giovanni Albert. So he's that good. He's going to become Bayern Munich's top-scoring non-German. Had a lot of Germans though, haven't they, <laughs> Bayern? <laughs> he's pretty. He's in the top 10 of the all-time list as well, so... Well, come back to me when he's number one at that, oh, George. That's <laughs> your round. Oh, wacky wins again. Wacky, wacky races. They should rename, rename this Wacky Races. Exactly, yeah. That's what it's turned into. <laughs> All right then, Jake. All right. Come back at him, bro. Come back with me. I'm going to go come to my man. You. So Kylian Mbappe was actually nominated for the Ballon d'Or at 18 yeah. years old. Wow. Good for him. Um, if he scores one more Champions League goal, which kicks off again next week, he will score more goals. I'm going back to teenagers here. He will have scored more Champions League goals than any other teenager in the history of the competition, bettering Patrick Kluivert's seven. Be his eighth goal. And six of those came in the knockout stages. Fair play. Fair play for that last bit. You might have clinched it there. Oh. 
George. I haven't even said what I was going to say. I know. But that last bit, I was like, wow. Deli Ali didn't enjoy as fruitful a September as Harry Kane scoring no goals and one assists. But to make it even worse for Delhi, no player has lost possession in the Premier League more than Deli Ali this season with 47, averaging 6.8 per 90 oh. compared to 4.7 per 90 last season. Delhi, 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 Delhi. I'm nervous. You should be. Oh no. Because I'm going to leave you in suspense for five seconds while I have a little think. Jake wins. Oh yes. Killian Mbappe. I gave you the eyes. That's not the first time that Mbappe will probably beat Deli in their careers. Yes. It was that knockout, that knockout bit. Six of them coming in the knockouts. If you want Killian Mbappe Champions League records, I've got so many. I'll just leave it on and then you can just carry on. Should we just do a final five minutes of me reeling them off? Killian Mbappe is... No. No. <laughs> Jake, if people want to hear your Killian Mbappe records, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at, at Jake Entwistle on Twitter, as usual. No H in the whistle part. And George, you're the most electrifying man on Twitter, apparently. It's it's all nudes. Uh, where can people find them? I'm going to loads of new followers now. Uh, at George Ellick, E-L-E-K is how you spell Ellick. And you can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH and hopefully you can find us on Deezer iTunes and all the other podcast places I mean not hopefully you definitely can where you should subscribe and next week join us again for Defending in Numbers Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production you can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers Listener.